In a world where men with deep voices are paid to produce deep emotion, where the means of our very survival are owned by but a few, one small bear and one loud lady rise out of the ash of late capitalism to plead no more. He is Knackers. She's the Vag. Together, they'll reveal the true nature of the commodity and your heart. Knackers and the Vag. It's Vag here, formerly known as Helen Razor and Knackers, the stuffed bear male oppressor. Hello, Knackers. And he's insisted I disclose up front. Unfortunately, no alcoholic drinks were consumed in the production of this podcast, The Second. And this is for several reasons. Yes, Knackers, I'll tell them you oppressor. And one is that I, the Vag, notwithstanding loud and annoying voice, am a small and trifling physical person. So I can't think and I can't drink one poopteenth as well as history's greatest drinking thinker, which is, of course, Karl Marx. So a week off from sinking the piss. I am sorry to disappoint. A week, comrades and siblings, that contains International Women's Day, which was once known as International Working Women's Day, but is now a fucking thing that is largely fucking sponsored by a fucking bank. It's International White Bourgeois Women's Day and is confined in the West at least largely to displays of success, successful women and terrible speeches by women about women's inspiration. So um, obviously we've got to talk about that and to do that we will be joined by a very impressive guest, who will bring some scholarly thought to my ravings. My friend, my colleague, my iftar hostess, writer and academic, Dr Shakira Hussein. But first, a quick overview of um, life as some may have endured its reality or its description since last time we met, where Knackers and I shat each other and shat you too. So let's talk very briefly about Our Lady, and when I say briefly, you know you can't trust me, Our Lady Hillary Clinton. Um, So uh, Clinton has used her influence as um, brave lady general of the false resistance to urge the Sith president to go tougher on Russia. Um, It was reposted on social media 25,000 times. It was reported in basically every major Western news service, loved by idiots of the internet, It says, I say this as a former Secretary of State and as an American. The Russians are still coming. Blah, 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 blah. Trump basically, you know, invade Russia for the sake of marinated cock woman. I mean, seriously. So so say maybe and there is as yet no evidence of this despite an all-out investigation which continues to completely distract the West from the truly ugly shit dropping from the rectum of the US hegemon, somebody who was possibly, so let's say somebody who was possibly Russian, possibly did take out a cheap Facebook ad featuring Hillary with horns, say that this, you know, maybe there's other evidence, we're yet to see it, 
So say that this can be proved to um, sway US votes uh, and let's even say, just for the sake of argument, that those 70-odd thousand votes which prevented the ascension of a crypto-fascist, um, that's Hillary, and permitted the elevation of a fucking senior juggalo, that's Donald, to the office of president were all Russian government-inspired. So let's say that's even true despite there being, again, no evidence. Why the fish are you, and I'm talking to you, if you're one of these people who has retweeted Hillary or, you know, called out Donald on his lack of military intervention, why are you encouraging escalation of an already dangerous situation? What is it, 4,000 armed missiles in Russia ready to go? Um and, you know, a situation that the current US Secretary of Defence already said that, you know, he needed a trillion dollars to fight just a couple of years ago. And look, can I remind you just five years ago or so, this is what President Obama was saying to his Republican rival, Mitt Romney, about how silly hating Russia was during the presidential campaign. A few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia, not Al-Qaeda, you said Russia, in the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because, you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. So, yes, you know, it is really old foreign policy. This reheated Cold War II is nonsense. Um, the new foreign policy, or at least at the time that Obama was talking about it, was was hating ISIS, defeating ISIS. Now, you know, it does appear in some accounts that um, the US and by extension Australia are opposed um, to the Syrian government and are now all in favour of allying with ISIS if it suits them, if it's convenient. But look, all that aside, I'm not saying that ISIS is nice, clearly, nor am I saying that about Putin, but I'm just I'm imploring you to quit it with this Russia shit. I'm not saying that Putin is an adorable little furry bear called Misha who craves peace. Clearly he's not. That's you, Nackers. Um, I'm saying, see, I love my captor. I'm saying that, you know, this election hacking of mass destruction stinks like bullshit. And what fucking filter do you have up your nose not to be overcome by the pong. It's, it's, you know, I mean, I'm probably not talking to you. You probably, you know, concede the point, have already conceded it without your knackers and veggies instruction. But this is what folks increasingly allow themselves to do in, in Western nations, in Australia in particular, where we're, we're supposed to be, you know, cynics. But we support the status quo and we cheer for things to remain as they are. And, and we delude ourselves that we're being rebellious in cheering for US foreign policy. And it's not in any way rebellious to think of um, Clinton's foreign policy as good, which is just like Trump's, only more so. And it's not rebellious to regard Clinton as an alternative any more than Trump is to brutal US rule when she is very candidly, very explicitly demonstrating that she would love more military action. And so what we have is one war hawk encouraging another. And I, it, it really upsets me. I mean, genuinely, 
that there are so many people, I mean, even people that I know, people that I respect, who honestly say that the nation of Russia has somehow earned devastation by the US. I, I mean, do you ever think through the death? Do you genuinely believe that Team America is obliged to act in a way that US police routinely do? That is demeaning and murdering the powerless because they happen to have a particular ethnicity. That's what it's all about. You, you can't see that this is racist and unjustified. I mean, if you can't, you wouldn't know racism and, and justice if France Fanon himself flew up your rectum and gave you a PowerPoint presentation on it. I mean, seriously, why are so many people devout when it comes to hating Russia? Why? Again, not a fondness for Russia. Fondness for you, though, knackers even on International Women's Day. Um, why is the, the US so often, whatever the country is, permitted to appear to so many people as a good and rational force whose military power is somehow we presume? Because we must, in saying, yes, go and do that, you know, more ships into the Black Sea, you know, more NATO troops in Poland, et cetera, et cetera. Because um, you're saying that, you're endorsing that action. How can you say that it, it is always or can be now or has ever been used in the best and truest traditions of liberal democracy? I mean, I mean, people are basically saying, you know, Trump, do what Hillary, Hillary says, which is what you're doing only more so. I, the US is falling apart and it was falling apart long before the, you know, bright orange juggalo installed a stripper pole in the Oval Office this moment of US foreign policy, like much US foreign policy, and read the policy documents if you really want to have an opinion. I'm sorry, it's your obligation. I know it's boring. I mean, do you really, you know, want to spend half an hour of your precious time with a mad dog or with Tillerson? No, I don't either. But this Russia thing and this love of US military in intervention or any military intervention, especially that by the most armed power in the world has driven me to look at these things. I could be talking about interesting things like how much Jennifer Lawrence shits me. And it's your fault. It's your fault that I am now reading policy documents. You know, one or two of the tens of listeners of Knackers and the Vag may remember that I used to be a mildly amusing lady who, you know, just talked about how she wasn't able to buy a, a sexy frock in her size or, or whatever, you know, shit like that. How much she loved grunge music. You want idiots like me to bang on passionately about the popular culture? Well, fucking have a revolution then and we can all be critics after dinner. We can all enjoy that kind of – a little bit of a Marx reference for some of you there. Thank you, Knackers. Um, anyway, you know, bloodthirsty desperation of the US – I think that they've been doing this for a while, and I'm 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 told by um, by books that seem to know about such things that there's a you know a congressional military industrial complex, and it makes these internal deals as it has since World War Two, and that's in great part how the U.S. has built its great wealth and its great power, and honestly, call me old-fashioned, I'm just a little bit sick of people dying in large numbers, Who, whoever's killing them, really. And 
I'm 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 sick of people dying in large numbers while um you know people who were my comrades or my friends are, who say that they're progressive or even that they're left wing they just cheer on the war seriously why love war it's it's almost ridiculous. Okay, Nekas, all right, I'm getting to the end. We're going to talk to Shakira in the minute. Um, why love war? I mean, it's not okay to do that. It's not okay to rationalise it. It's it's not okay to use the excuse that you, you hear uh, from The Guardian or The Washington Post that Putin is opposed to diversity. I mean, yes, you know, he appears to be a bit of a masculinist turdo. I mean, you know, he, he, he's a dictator, blah, 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 awful, awful, awful. And and probably I'd last in Moscow about five seconds before hoping to join Lenin in his his tomb. I, I don't know. Maybe I'd like it. Russians are hot. Not the point. Thank you, Nakers. The point is you mindless war-loving motherfuckers, you don't get to cheer invasion and if you can show me any compelling evidence that the Russian government swayed or meaningfully attempted to sway the US election, you still don't get to cheer war because war's fucked. Ugh. You know, just because Hillary five minutes ago received some advice that she loved diversity and loved representing it in every form except, you know, um, possibly the Russian one, it's... People to die! There's some other stuff too. Sorry, knackers. Uh, Australian stuff, uh, very briefly, and I do mean very briefly, the chief economics correspondent for the ABC, Emma Alberici, she did not make serious errors in providing empirical evidence that um, concessions to large corporations um, have not been shown to increase wages over 40 years. Seriously, investigate that. Read a, you know, even just read a moderate economist or some accounts by moderate, you know, centrist economists of Alberici's stuff. Make up your own mind. And very briefly, who gives a flip if that deputy prime minister is gone? Personally, I won't be happy until they all go. And yes, this also means Tanya Plibersek. For fuck's sake, the ALP. What a waster. What a bunch of gobshites. Blah, blah, blah. Not drunk. We're going to talk International Women's Day now with my friend, my guardian of morality, the University of Melbourne scholar and author of a very good book, if you happen to be interested. It's called From Victims to Suspects, Muslim Women Since 9-11. It's Shakira Hussein. She came to my joint just a little while back. Um, she does that sometimes and she was asked by knackers to explain how she felt in around 2012, which was the time in Australia, following Gillard's misogyny speech, when trickle-down feminism became a big hit in everyday news. Well, I had not thought that, that feminism's agenda was to empower women at the very top of the heap. I thought that feminism, in retrospect, see, I was naive in thinking that feminism was about attentiveness to women who were further towards the bottom of the hip and being trampled on, not about making middle class and upper middle class women more comfortable. Mm. And so I felt as though I was this total party people who'd spent years and years just saying, feminism, 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 and suddenly switched to feminism, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. That was not my type of feminism. And I actually had, I realised that there was this type of feminism that I'd been just blissfully indifferent to because it 
didn't interest me, so I'd ignored it. Yeah. But all of the sudden, and it didn't, it didn't have a huge profile either. There was, you know, yeah, we, it was we suddenly knew. so much more visible. And then I realised that it yeah. had been around, but suddenly yeah. it was we, we, everywhere. We knew that there was this network. They say there's this group in Australia, for example, called Women in Media. I don't know where they meet. It's not a terrible thing that women in elite professions go and support each other off piste or whatever. I mean, I was once a member of the Country Women's Association. That's a fine organisation, nothing wrong with lady-only lady events, nothing wrong with men-only events, unless, of course, blood is involved, in which case, whoever you are, stop this at once. But blood that isn't menstrual blood. Thank you for that clarification, Dr Hussein. But, yeah, it all coalesced and there was this huge explosion of what we would call liberal feminism. And, I mean, part of the reason I think that you were so onto the transformation so quickly. So what happened was... There was this big misogyny speech that really inspired a lot of women. I say to the Leader of the Opposition, I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. And the Government will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. Not now, not ever. The Leader of the Opposition says that people who hold sexist views and who are misogynists are not appropriate for high office. Well, I hope the Leader of the Opposition has got a piece of paper and he is writing out his resignation. Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. And I have to say, when I saw it on, on the television, I thought, oh, isn't that wonderful? You know, that was my visceral reaction. Then I see, what's he over here saying, well, this is disgusting, this is appalling, this is the most stark hypocrisy I've ever seen in my life. I was quite troubled by it. Why were you upset on that day by the, by the Gillard speech? I was upset because it came on the same day as the changes to Centrelink payments to sole parents went through the Senate, which was going to, and having been, well, I was working but still was, single mother to a school-age child myself, and I knew just how much more difficult it was going to make the lives of a lot of women yeah. because it was going, because it increased the reporting requirements and because it was, a, a dis, apart from the material, how much money you had, it was such a disciplinary act. Yeah. And so I just couldn't join the feminist party. It just, uh, you know, and it made, and it, yeah, it angry was... and feel estranged that there were all these women who were saying, oh, fantastic, just, yeah, I, I felt very... I thought feminist campaign. If you're not listening in Australia, perhaps um, you're more familiar with US policy. You remember the so-called Personal Responsibility Act, which was passed during the Clinton administration. Hillary Clinton was very, very public in her support for what essentially did away with the remnants of Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal. We still have more of what you might recognise as a welfare state in Australia. We still do mercifully have the right as citizens to healthcare. But what happened in that particular week was just like a punitive bullshit measure. Legislation, as I understand it, proposed by Gillard. You know, a woman who would all, had presented herself as definitely left of centre. She was part of the left wing of our so-called Labor Party and I believe it was her legislation. The long and the short of it is, was if you were a single parent, you basically lost 100 bucks a week. This had happened incrementally over, over years, yeah, and, and it was another step in this incremental erosion of those 
entitlements. And but it, but it was a step that was being introduced by a female prime minister who was being hailed as this feminist hero. And so then there was a lot of talk about how, oh, but we don't respond in this way when male politicians do that. Well, I do have a double standard in my in terms of my expectations for male and female politicians. I am going to be more enraged if you're a, a allegedly left wing female politician yeah. doing this than from a male politician, which from whom I frankly don't expect better from right wing male politicians. Absolutely. I mean, this this argument over and again, would you wouldn't say that if there was a man doing it. it. It becomes quite extreme. Yes, I understand. You know, it's true. We probably all carry sexism around with us, just as all white people carry a little bit of racism that, you know, they're yet to go clear and, and rise above that. But it's it's not just about evacuating all of the crap inside yourself. Shakira and, and many people I know are aghast with hypocrisy. You know, uh, an, an example of that, President Obama shedding tears for Alan Kurdi, the Syrian toddler who was drowned in the Aegean. Mm. And you probably heard the story, Alan and his father had been in Turkey in crossing the Aegean to try to get to safety in Greece. This, I mean, you've seen the picture, it's devastating, this poor little boy. And then there was a meeting on the crisis, as if this crisis is not ongoing. It's not a crisis, it's now the way that we live and the anything that we refuse to address, which people escaping wars, many of which have been incited by Western policy. You agree with me thus far? Oh, yes. You've got knackers there to help tell me to shut up any time. The, the sort of double banger of climate change, which often occurs in so-called developing nations or nations that are the targets of US or US proxy aggression. So I think it's 65 million official refugees, according to the UN at the moment. He says that he's going to make an effort, you know, and at the same time... Obama has deported between um, two and three million people over the term of his presidency. He's crying for Alan Kurdi. He says, kind of takes on the word undocumented mm. um, to describe what Donald Trump has returned to calling illegals and says, you know, pathway to citizenship, pathway to citizenship, but at the, at the same time, like, deports more people, um, does more um, to, you know, continue the US foreign policy that ensures that little boys like Alan Curdy or big boys or big women, you know, people who aren't cute and photogenic as corpses, um, will continue to be produced, will continue to die in seas all over the place, will continue to die in all sorts of ways, will continue to be stateless, will continue blah, blah, blah. You know, you get the, you get the point. The world's in a state of shit. But he sheds tears and he says, whatever we can do to stop this, but at the same time does nothing to stop it. And, you know, I think it's a very common reaction for people politically to, like, disdain the the loving, kind, you know, words of solidarity coming from a purportedly progressive politician and and at the same time you're absolutely knowing what they're doing. I mean, it it hurts personally and it, and it sickens you, right? Well, Obama... I hope, will be judged as the drone president, targeted assassination, basically without due process. Bush will be remembered, I think, as the Gitmo president, or will be remembered by some of us as the Guantanamo president. Obama will be remembered as the drone president. Not that that has stopped under Trump, although there was a pause. Began The drone attacks began before Obama, but they mm. relied on them much more because of wanting to pull back from ground war. And it seems 
cleaner and, and safer. And it's more invisible drone warfare than, and you don't have the coffins coming home. That, but but you're producing plenty of coffins overseas, and but not just in a different country, but in parts of that country where nobody really knows who and where the US actually has no way of knowing how many or who they've killed. They figures which were kept secret and were eventually released, but but they're inherently unreliable anyhow because you can't really know how many people were in this house that was obliterated. Mm. Well drones have a surveillance aspect to them as well, of course, you know, because yeah. there's surveillance and and I will just add in here that Australia is a part of that through Pine Gap that we are active contributors to these in identifying yeah. targets and in the Pakistani lawyer who was in Australia at one stage during the Obama administration, I'm sorry, I don't remember which year, and was saying while well, he was out here that he is, well, he has been taking legal action against the US on behalf of family members and survivors of drone attack victims in, in, in Pakistan and that Australia was complicit and that he would be looking to including Australia in this legal action through our endorsement of US policy and but more actively through our alliance via the US base at Pine Gap. Do you want to know more about the role of Australia's Pine Gap in the US surveillance and warfare network? Of course you do. Who doesn't? <laughs> Knackers is all up with that. Um, if you're not, um, and I wasn't until quite recently when US journalist Glenn Greenwell partnered with the ABC radio program, background briefing to tell us all about it. So you can look there on the ABC's website or into the pages of The Intercept. And while you're there, remember to thank Edward Snowden, but then maybe pause to ask your racist neighbour, even if silently, why, if they are so frightened of so-called Islamic terror coming to Australia, well, why aren't they busy writing letters to their Member of Parliament begging for revision to policy that has our nation in league with a brutal, dying parent called the USA. Seriously, I mean, you know, Mandarin can't be that hard to learn, can it, people? Actually, I'm joking. And I know Mandarin is hard for some of us because I've had lessons with Zhang, a guy who accidentally took me 20 k's out of the way in his Uber and then he made up for it with a free introductory half-hour tutorial in the five Mandarin tones. All five tones, I'm here to tell you, are difficult, even the one that's supposedly flight and neutral. So this isn't the point. The point is Shakira and me should not have spoken for so long about US foreign policy. We're supposed to be talking about the inability of the popular liberal feminist um, to identify any problems that aren't those of women in the 1%. Um, we'll talk about this in a minute, and yes, of course, we're going to talk about Me Too. Uh, but first, this idea, I want you to think about it, that the act of communication itself, this ecstatic act that we think will change the world if only we deliberate enough, if only we talk our problems through, if only we act at all times as though we are on the Oprah version of Sigmund's couch. We have this idea that calling out sexism, racism and injustice wherever you see it, etc., etc., has a measurable effect. Well, you know, maybe a little bit less time, you know, calling out, you know, somebody saying something sexist to celebrity feminist journalist Tracy Spicer and a bit more about Pine Gap, that might work. 
even 10% as much as we felt inclined to call out anyone who harasses, you know, fucking Lindy West or whatever. And no, this is not an argument of whataboutery because, hey, Pine Gap is a place Per those documents that were released by um, whistleblowers, very brave whistleblowers and journalists that assist in the real-life devastation of lives across the world, again, in which Australia is complicit, as Shakira brought up in talking about the Pine Gap. You know, um, I sound a bit uh, alt-right, I suppose, if I call it a spy base, but what else do you call a spy base? Uh, the death of, of, of people, uh, particularly um, in North Africa, the Middle East, the conditions created for precisely the kind of authoritarian or sectarian or misogynist brutality we Western feminists claim to despise. If bombing people or populations on the grounds that they live in patriarchal societies is okay with you, well, you should probably see a head doctor. I do. Before you get the appointment, and goodness knows there's a long waiting list, think about the women, just the women, if that's what you want to think about. Think about all those women that you're willing to see killed or violated in order to end a hierarchy of which you happen to disapprove. I mean, talk about using a sledgehammer to crack a fucking nut, 1% feminist fucking bitches. Um, sorry. Anyway, not the point. The point is the value placed on calling out everyday acts of injustice, which, you know, you might be tempted to do. And personally, um, you know, Shakira and I don't need any encouragement. We, we are now, and this is part of the reason that we're really good mates, we are now and we've always been ladies who scold others when they disappoint us. So calling out, yeah, it can easily become a compulsion, not a political tool. My friend Shakira and, and, and I know that calling out serves largely to make us feel better. That's okay, you know. I mean, that's fine. Call it self-care if you want. But don't call it a political tool that can change the world. Shakira doesn't. If the internet had been around when I was an undergraduate, when you were an undergraduate, because I was doing the equivalent of calling people out on Twitter before Twitter was around, which was sticking notices on the back of the university toilet yeah. doors, calling out, as we were not calling it back then, calling out various staff members who had behaved in predatory ways, yeah. male staff members who behaved in predatory ways. If Twitter had been around, I, of course, would have been doing that on Twitter. So it's not like I don't – It's yeah, it's not like I have yeah. never really ang- – and also not just angry but powerless – and the only power you, you have is a tweet. Well, if we return to Ayan Hirsi Ali, which Great, you mentioned yeah. before. Yeah, because when she was going to be coming to Australia and they didn't end up coming to Australia, there was some discussion and Muslim women are very angry with various statements that Hirsi Ali has made. I'm fucking angry yeah, with her. Yeah, and I understand. She thinks Sam Huntington is a great scholar. And I have had my say about Hirsi Ali and I've had a platform to say it on too, in national media like the and conservative national media like the Australian too. So I can't really justifiably tell other Muslim women that it's strategically better to not be doing that. But I was arguing the case for not, not because I'm any less angry with her, but because strategically it wasn't her first time visiting here. She's not really 
news anymore. She'll always get a slot on Q&A if she comes here. She'll always get publicity. That's how it is. And and there wasn't really a hook. And that by, But by putting out a statement condemning or whatever her visit, we were giving them a hook and that it was better not to do that. But having said that, though, I've had my say on her and I can't justifiably tell other women. But I think it's useful to distinguish between things that you're saying because you have a psychological need to say them and other women also have a psychological yes. need to hear them, see them being said and things that will actually be mm. heard in a particular way. Really, sorry. thank you so much for that. What Shakira, sorry, has you've got to use Neck as the bear more often on me, Shakira. What, what she's done here is she said, okay, well, the, in, in one sense, there's a reflex. If you shout, that's good. And if you want to react, you know, even in an activist way, that, that can also be fine. But a lot of what we see, particularly when it's delivered to us by politicians, and I don't know how we forgot this, it's framed. It comes to you in the context of media. And now very often we cannot see the difference between that reaction, you know, that sudden knee-jerk to something bad that happened and things that actually occur in the media. And, you know, it wasn't so long ago that kids were taught media literacy. probably know this. I mean, like, I'm not a big fan, right, for reasons we'll get into in the future. But there's this guy, Noam Chomsky, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've got some idea of who the old gnome is. So he writes this book called Manufacturing Consent, which is mostly around war propaganda, right? Mm -hmm. um, and still relevant however many decades. More relevant yeah. today than it was 20 years ago. It's like some of the shit that I see in news defending war is extraordinary and it's like a cartoon and if you step away just for a minute and you remember that people in media you know including us here now I mean I'm going to edit out the stuff that I don't think it's strategic for you to hear because I'm offering you a particular view I'm not real and no act of of media that you plan is real and even on social media, the individual is coerced by particular circumstances like, will my followers and my friends like this? Will this get me into an argument with my mother? Will this advance my career? And particularly if we're looking or at... Or will it implode my career? Yeah, and I have lost so many jobs from mouthing off on social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, I could probably mm -hmm. um, calculate exactly how much. It's your phone, you're very busy and important. Knackers and the Vag. Where two human ladies and one small bear tackle the trouble of the tag Me Too later today. Or when Helen remembers the name she gave the sound file and where she put it on Knackers and the Vag, Vag, Vag. More Hussein soon, soon, soon.